Welcome to Paper Napkin, a podcast about connection. The world felt distant and connection felt hard. So we created a place for conversation, connection, and closeness. If not in proximity, then certainly in spirit. Grab a pen and a piece of paper or a paper napkin and get ready to consider how to connect deeply, honestly, and impactfully. Kimberly Cornish is the executive director of Food Water Wellness Foundation. She builds strategies, develops grants, engages stakeholders, manages data, samples soil, liaises with government and farmers, and, 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 and. And that's just her day job. She also built the famed music festival, Rootstock, builds connections across industries and across the globe as second nature, and uses her scientific brain and open heart to build a more sustainable future. I am so thrilled to welcome Kim onto the podcast for a discussion about what it means to be meaningfully connected. Kim, thank you so much for being here. It is such a pleasure to have you. Well, it's wonderful to get to spend some time with you. And you are such a special connection in my life. And we're one of the first people that I actually thought of to have on paper napkin for a variety of reasons, because I mean, ultimately you have a really interesting story. Your life has been so fascinating, but I think actually one of the key pieces I see in your journey is that connection and that sense of connection that you have cultivated in your life. And so the first question is, what do you do and why? I think we're really going to need to start to dig into what connection brings to to what you do and, and why you do it. I'm founder and executive director of a small not-for-profit called Food Water Wellness Foundation. And that grew out of work that I started initially in Africa and looking at a return to sustainable food systems for Indigenous people. And then uh, really starting my own organization came out of a need to be able to operate in a way that most organizations that I tried to partner with weren't working along. That was, I guess, the biggest reason Like lately, it's come really clear that it's just the organization has turned into the weaving of a big web and it's bringing people together, scientists together with agricultural producers and back and forth and then how that relates to policy. And it, it looks from a more traditional paradigm, it looks kind of messy and it looks like we're going around in circles. But the more that I use the analogy of the web and the ability to to connect and to feel how those connections actually work, the more that it seems appropriate as a way of describing what I do and why. And as far as the agricultural space goes, you speak of it as the web and you've built this sort of web of connections. How have you done that? Was it something that you found necessary right off the bat when you were starting to build this organization? Has it come naturally? It has been like a series of connections and going to meetings and making contacts. It's when I can trace the path, it was, I was interested in holistic management. And so I went to a one day workshop and had met a person 
that had been referenced in another class. And then we ended up going to a conference in California together where I met another person and his organization started following online, which led me to go to a conference in Rome. And then we got the, the science and technology piece started from that intersection. And then it's just been a lot of Googling and a lot of phone calls and, and a lot of, of happenstance meetings. But for some reason, a lot of those kind of casual connections at conferences or workshops translate into something that it builds into a working relationship or, or some ability to collaborate. And I don't actually know how or why that happens, but it seems to happen a lot in my life. I mean, I have some ideas. I think it's because you open yourself up to that opportunity and perhaps also because you are a person who offers value to other people. So from what I've seen of you, you don't necessarily come into a conversation asking of other people. You come in offering your thoughts and offering sort of your understanding of situations and really listening to other people as well. And I think that that value can't be understated when it comes to who you are in the community that you've built. And I think that there's also something about just authentically connecting to people and understanding kind of where they're coming from and what they need. Like we have two of the scientists we're working with, they're from Iran and they're trying to bring their sister or the, one of their sisters over to, to live in Canada. And they've been so incredibly helpful in the work that we've done, but I understand that that's like a supreme motivator. So the last time we were talking, I said, I know that this is the most important thing for you guys. And so I'm going to do everything in my power to help it happen. So that, because I just think that like we all, it's funny because I just have recently re-picked up Drive by Dan Pink and and just understanding that motivation really has so little to do with carrots and sticks. It's so much more intricate and precise than the carrots and sticks will ever allow us to, it, it, the carrots and sticks are just such a coarse way of operating. And there's so many subtleties right now. And I think that that's where things can move forward and take us kind of out of the process that we've been possibly stuck in. And, and I think COVID is just driven that home that we're going to need new skills to maneuver. And I think it is finding those subtle, subtle interconnections and spaces that, that actually make things function. And how do you find those? How do you relate to an individual or start to understand their motivations when you first connect with them? You talked about those casual connections. What's that first step? I think it's engaging with them around what they're interested in and also listening to those subtleties. When someone gets excited or you can just see different energy, it's that you don't, I think in a lot of communication, we don't stop and go, wow, you're really lit up about that. Or you're really excited about that. Tell me more of that space. We kind of go back to this set of okay, we're having this conversation and this is what it's going to be like. And so if you can kind of just watch, I think that's maybe what I do is I watch when people start to talk fast and are excited and, and, and I just give them that space to, 
to express that and then see if we can kind of harness maybe is the wrong, but intersect that energy with other people's passions. And that's, that's when I get really excited. Like now when we have, you know, these international cross-disciplinary scientific meetings and I watch the water modeler talk about bulk density and how that can change under management. And you just watch them, the, the whole energy changes in the interaction. And it's, it's just like three little redirects or just questions that pull people into that space. And then it's almost like a portal or like, yeah, something like that just like takes people beyond where they are. And that's what's exciting for me. And I, it's probably actually my favorite thing and to, to watch and see those interactions. Well, and I think perhaps the first piece of that is the holding space. The second part of it reminds me of what you and I have talked about before around this idea of flow. And when you get into the flow of a conversation and feeling like there's space held on both sides for each member of the conversation. And I think a big part of that and something that you touched on is the ability to be interested maybe in what other people are interested in or, or if you don't understand it, be willing to learn more and understand more about it. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's just it. And if somebody is legitimately excited about something, there's probably something to it. Like there's some bigger meaning purpose and, and they are probably connecting to something within themselves. And so if you can kind of take that best of the energy, basically. Like I I had a big conversation with a friend over the weekend about, you know, media and what we're consuming and is it opening us up to higher consciousness or is it pulling us back into kind of a lower reptilian fear-based understanding of the world? And it's just like everything, you know, if you can ride that wave when people are sparking, so to speak, that that's when magic really does start to happen, especially in group connections and with projects. Well, and I think it's so interesting what you said there, because perhaps sometimes the fear mentality is such that if we don't know about something or don't feel that we could add our own spin on the conversation, we're quick to move away from that element of the conversation. And I think one of the things that I love about you is that I don't understand half of what you do, (laughs) but you make space for me anyways. And we have enough of a conversation that I feel included and involved while also feeling free to admit that I don't understand it and, and open to learning it. And I think that in a space like yours, that is heavily scientific, the ability to form connections with people, both within the work that you're doing, but also outside of it and, and create accessibility is probably of huge value to the organization. I think it's, it comes from partially the work that I do is working with ecosystems. And the more that you work with ecosystems, the more you understand how every contributing factor fulfills a niche and has its space. And so even if you can't understand it, it it doesn't mean it doesn't belong there. And the approach that the agricultural producers that I work with is when they look at something, like if there's a weed somewhere, they don't just go try to spray it out as quickly as possible. They ask why it's there. 
and what it's telling them about the soil and what it's telling them about the greater ecosystem. And so I think that if you use that analogy and start looking at how group dynamics work, even if you can't at any given moment fully understand how someone fits, if they're part of they're probably part of an ecosystem. And, and we don't, we don't necessarily understand, like we're still constantly learning about ecosystem function. I'm reading this book called Call of the Reed Warbler right now that's about Australia and about regenerative agriculture. But the thing that struck me the most is he revisits this idea of mechanistic mindset versus an ecological or organic mindset. And the mechanistic idea is that it's whatever you just need the very constituent parts to manufacture something. Whereas an ecological mindset is all of these pieces that come together of their own expression of themselves to create the system that functions. And that's a totally different approach to people and, and connections in your own world, because you don't, you may not understand in any given moment why that person or when you're going to need that skill set or that passion coming into the project, but you will need it because, and so it's just keeping like kind of a mental inventory of all the people in all the worlds. And you just, you don't know when that's going to be, but the ecological mindset holds space at least for that to enter when, when it is necessary. That's actually so fascinating. It kind of comes back to, I've heard conversations around um, the rainforest idea when it comes to businesses that are in the startup and scale up mode of like needing a rich ecosystem, like a rainforest, because actually each element of the rainforest is dependent on the other elements. And each one is sort of doing their job and creating something as a result of the cross-pollination that might occur as well, right? And I wonder with that, you have a very eclectic group of connections, I would say. You are a uh, collector of people, correct me if I'm wrong in saying that, and I think the types of people that you surround yourself with are all very different, and I wondered, was that intentional, or did that just happen, and what value you felt that adds to your life? It wasn't intentional, but I, I think I always, I grew up around a lot of different people. My, my dad's job was, there was a constant exposure to people from different countries and actually both my parents' jobs. And, and there was a lot of cross cultural communication as from the time I was a child. And I always joke that I don't really speak any other languages really effectively, but I'm incredibly well-versed in ESL, which is helpful because that's actually the international language. People don't, people don't actually speak English. They speak English as a second language almost everywhere in the world. And, and so from having to learn how to translate both from grandparents from different cultures and different exposures just growing up, I think I, I learned how to listen, hold space for people to exist in their space without judgment. And I think people fundamentally kind of understand whether they're being judged or not. And if they feel accepted, they're much more likely to express something authentic for themselves. And I think because there was just so much growing up that was 
it was different and it didn't fit into any boxes. I think that's what I've, I've learned to do. And so whether it's working with the, the son Bushman in Namibia or some drunk British guy in a bar in Australia or whatever it looks like, or the agricultural community to the scientific community, they're all just different discourses that if you can just go, I just feel like my baseline is more like, oh, that's really interesting. And I don't maybe know how it fits, but that I think that's part of the way that I've kind of collected people and just allowed for those intersections of conversations that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Correct me if I'm wrong, but my, my working hypothesis here is that from what you just said, it's not just the idea of speaking someone's language. It's the idea of listening to what they're saying. That is what you've built. So you may not necessarily on the surface speak their language, quote unquote, and that you may not have the exact same interests as them, but you're able to find interest in what they are speaking to and listen to that. And that holds space for them to, to grow that connection. Yeah. I think that's very good. I'm, I'm curious. We've talked a little bit about how you connect. How do you stay connected with all of these people that you, that you've connected with around the world? I, I guess it's, it's grown easier, definitely with technology. I think back to more years ago than I'd like to admit that I was traveling in, in, in the early days. And I remember I still have like pieces of paper that have people's email addresses on when they were like hotmail type or Yahoo type emails. And now it's, I think it was responding at that point. It was just like, actually taking the time to email someone and keep in touch. And when they wrote, you wrote back. And then I look at what's happened over the last 20 years in terms of communication and that ability to, you know, with WhatsApp, there's not the distance that existed even 10 years ago. Like it was, we still had long distance calls 10 years ago and now everything is is digital. And so I think that it is prioritizing time and space to to make those connections. And I think that going back to the spider web analogy, I can feel when there's somebody in the network that it's just time to connect to. And they pop into my head, I'll fire off a text message. And that is, seems to be a major factor. And then I think also it's being my friend Michael in California, he said to me a couple months ago, you don't hold any vengeance around communication. So if somebody hasn't responded to you three times, you try a fourth time. And, and then if they respond, you just keep going. And he said that in some ways is your superpower, because if you can just realize that if you don't hear back from somebody, it probably has almost nothing to do with you. It has to do with what's going on in their world. And especially in this last year, I think that's, really, really true. And it is, it's just making the time and space, I think, but also not taking things personally. If, if someone doesn't respond, because I think we just waste, I think collectively as a society, we waste a lot of energy assessing other people's states instead of just, you know, like the four agreements, like don't take things personally. It doesn't give you, it doesn't get you anywhere. And it often severs connections that are perfectly well and fine if you just gave them 
a few months or maybe even a year. But I just keep remarking that so many of my connections, I'll talk to people I haven't honestly talked to in four years. And it just feels like three minutes has passed when we actually just get talking. And understanding that that space exists always, even if you're not in regular contact with people. That is so insightful and actually really helpful to me. And I imagine to also other people who will listen, because I think in this world of constant contact, there's really pressure that's put on people to feel like we always have to connect. And I think in hearing what you're saying that when you think of someone, you reach out to them, but you're not expecting something in return, that's probably to your point, most people feel that way, you know, or would feel that way if that was more normalized. But I think we have this tendency to, if someone cancels on me because they're not feeling up to it, I understand completely no problem. If I cancel on someone, I feel terrible and awful. And like, I'm the worst person. If someone doesn't text me back in a few days, you know, I don't think that much of it, but if I don't text someone back, I feel guilty. And I think there's this feeling like you touched on where we get so obsessed with our own relation to them that we don't take a step back to realize that not it's the, what's the quote, the Eleanor Roosevelt quote, right? That you would think less about what other people thought about you if you realize how little they actually did, right? I think this idea of the worry that people feel around connection, the way that you put it, I think is really eloquent and that maybe just allowing for the space of being there is enough without feeling the need to overdo it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I know we're probably... I've all heard a lot of Renee Brown over the last few years. And, and I think her work is amazing, but it's, it is really about that authenticity. And if you're, if you're reaching out in a truly authentic way, then you're not asking for something back. I think we get confused that connection equals interconnection or interlinking or interdependency almost. It's a quick it's a quick road there. It's only two stops on the metro between here and there. And I think that we don't allow there to be connection without, like it, it needs to be constantly validated. And I think when it's truly authentic, it doesn't need to be validated because it exists. It's just there. And the validation is, is actually almost like a warning sign. It's like the canary in the well that if you need that constant validation, there isn't actually authentic connection because you're not resting in the peace that you're still connected to that person. And I think that like, I notice it in myself when I'm like, oh, I really need to reach out and talk to somebody. Like there's a very different energy between, I just had that thought of that person and I'm going to fire them off a text message and like, oh, I need to talk to somebody. And it's just, I, I try to, stop myself in, they refer to it as the, and this is probably not the most appropriate way to say it, but the skank response in terms of that need where you have that, you're actually after like a dopamine hit from that person. And I think like inevitably it never goes well because it's just, it's just like all the other things we do. Like when we go binge shopping for that dopamine hit or we gamble or we overindulge in other vices, but it just, it never, there's always a hangover at resulted. And there's always like a a shame spiral that is somewhat attached to it. And I think that we don't really, 
I think COVID has done a lot for just kind of slowing everything down to the point that we're having to evolve beyond just our dopamine hit desires, because we've mostly been told we're not allowed to do most of the things that used to give us those dopamine hits. But I think it's, if we can reconfigure it as an opportunity for evolution in terms of our neurochemistry and that we can, can focus on true quality connection with both parties coming in authentically, we'll have much richer relationships at the end of this. So many things to unpick in that. And I think one of the things that came forward to me was actually maybe it's the difference between wanting connection and wanting attention. And you would argue that attention is one-sided, right? So when you are taking, when you are texting someone because you just need attention, that's a totally different interaction than when you are giving that connection to them freely and having that, that exchange between the two of you versus the sort of instant validation uh, that you were speaking about. Exactly. Exactly. That's so interesting. Well, and I think because we're living in this world that is so heavily attention focused at the moment, actually, and there's so many places to put your attention and so many things competing for your attention, maybe that's why connection is that much more challenging. And that actually leads to one of my questions for you, which was around fostering connection in this virtual, this digital world, what that looks like and how you think we can do better, or if you think that we're doing great already. Well, it's, it's interesting. Like I've noticed it. And I think you and I have touched on it in, in just our interactions over the last little bit is that it's so, it's so hard because we spend our days on zoom in a work context. And now that's also our option for our social interaction and connection. And it just becomes too much because if you spend your weekends on Zoom, you feel like you haven't gotten a break. And, and that is a very fascinating dynamic. And I'm personally frustrated by it sometimes because I really do miss just having my conversations with my friends and and people over like on the weekends. And it's that social, that's the only way to maintain social interaction. And most of my friendships and a lot of my good, like my true deep people have always been long distance. So it's really nothing in a lot of ways. It's still phone calls, but there's a different pressure on it because of how much, how my work life has shifted to be completely online. And Food, Water, Wellness is doing this project as a public agricultural literacy. And we're working with this facilitator, Dave Irvine, and he talks a lot about building high trust environments. And that's one of the biggest things that I've noticed is that in our technological space, if we can build, if we can build that high trust environment, then it makes the online interaction completely different because I think what online does is it allows us, you know, when you're sitting around a table with people, you're reading body language in a totally different way. People aren't a thumbnail big when you're looking at them and you can get, you get senses of the energy in the room differently than you can online. If we can work towards building that high trust, high connection, then it starts to transcend these digital platforms. So I think it's a really, it's an interesting opportunity we have to 
figure out what the actual architecture is. Like we were just using a playbook before that worked, but we didn't really know why. And I think now we've got the opportunity to be like, okay, that playbook doesn't work the same way that it did. And so now it's our opportunity to, to break it down and figure out how we can use it in a different format. Yeah. As far as meaningful connection, if you could describe it in just a couple sentences, what would you describe meaningful connection as? I think I would describe meaningful connection as an interaction in which both parties or however many parties are involved actually come out bigger and stronger than they or just more empowered or more energized. Maybe that's the right word is energized than they went, than they went into it. And that is a really unique challenge because if our interactions, we've never had that as an external indicator of success. Everything in our society is still built on winners and losers. And so it's, it's a whole different strategy to try and actually have these processes and interactions that make everybody better as a result of coming out of them. And I think that that's, that's truly when we have meaningful connection is when we are better for the interaction and the connection than we are without it. Wow. That is brilliant. As far as connecting goes, what is one piece of advice that you often pass on to others? It's something that I keep having to repass on to myself but listen to your spidey senses and the way you feel is telling you a lot more than what your brain can conceptually understand about what you're being told. And I think, you know, there's lots of neuroscience to support this, but that, you know, our conscious mind is only about 10% of our brain. And then we have this whole other world that is, you know, making our eyes still lubricated with tears and making sure we breathe and all of those things and our hearts beating and our lymph systems working and everything's happening without us knowing. And that is without our felt sense. And, you know, I know not everybody's a feeler, but without that felt sense, we really are less intelligent than we are with it. And so to disregard it is usually like my My experience has certainly been that when I disregard those feelings, they always end up showing up in a much more colorful and loud way in the future. And in regards to connection, that's it is if you, even though someone's saying one thing to you, if you don't feel it as authentic, they're not, they're saying something else to you actually too. And I think that having that as a, allowing that to truly be a, means of decision-making is helpful for sure. And I feel like we're kind of moving into a space where now if we start using that language, it does become normalized. And then we become more intelligent as organizations and as relationships, as we can use that terminology. And I wonder as well, off the back of that, you are a connector and you are sort of a people person. And part of that probably as your superpower is also the power that you maybe learned to 
put up boundaries, you know, or to make sure that you are focusing your energy and your time into the right places. And you talk about trusting your gut. How do you make sure that the connections that you're creating are the right connections for you? (laughs) That's like, if I can answer that question, I could probably retire very (laughs) effectively. Because it is completely still a work in progress. I do notice that I have a tendency to, to overconnect too when I'm feeling insecure. I have a friend that's a professional poker player and he, he, I guess it's a poker term. I don't know this, but he says this, that when you're playing poker, you get into tilt and that's when you're losing, but you just keep betting more and more and more trying to win. But basically, once you're in tilt, you're only going to lose. And your only reaction should be to just get up, identify your in tilt and get up and walk away from the table in a poker setting. But I think that in interactions, I know for myself, that is my weakness is I'll get into overgiving mode or just like I, if I just give everything to everybody, then it'll fix whatever interact, like instead of having an awkward conversation, I'll try to give over that. And then hopefully that will like shellac the problems. And in my experience, it never works, but you know, knowing that about myself, I now can, when I notice, like when I'm all of a sudden giving things and my credit cards just getting slapped down on things that I'm not really sure why I'm doing that's a major indication that's like, okay, maybe it's time to just take, take a step back. A friend said that to me the other day. It's like, you know, you always have the ability to just take a step back. That's a safe and easy thing to say. But like you were saying about if you don't text somebody back, there's almost like this obligation energy or something that, that gets, it pulls you into this like gyre of negative emotions. And, and it just, if we can just be like, I don't know why, but I just need to take a step back and, and I'll get back to you shortly. And that just, that is the easiest. It's such a simple thing to do, but it is one of the hardest things to learn how to actually institute in our lives. But if you can, very helpful. I love that. It comes back to probably the trusting your gut piece of the puzzle, but trusting your gut earlier on. Right. So not necessarily, pushing down those feelings because of obligation or because of politeness or because of all of the many ways that we're all sort of programmed to people please, whether we like it or not, but actually that first connection with yourself. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's probably it. Like knowing, knowing yourself, knowing your tendencies and being connected and honest with yourself about that is that is the most important because you really, unless you're truly connected to yourself, you, you don't have anything of quality to offer. And, and I, and I actually like, I'd like to slightly restate that because it's, I know when I've heard statements like that growing up, it was always like, Oh, you got to love yourself first before you can really be. And, and I think we learn how to love and connect through interactions, I do believe we are fundamentally, we survived as a species because of our ability to organize into communities. So that idea that you can be this like pillar of independence emotionally is the fallacy. But 
being as aware as you can be bringing yourself into interactions and understanding your tendencies becomes really helpful. And then, and then you also understand other people's tendencies and you can not take personally their tendencies because again, it probably has something to do with what's going on in their world, just as your reactions and your behaviors that sometimes you're not quite as excited about has stuff to do that's going on within your own internal dialogue. Checking in with yourself in, in order to connect with other people is sort of the, the first piece of the puzzle, mm-hmm. which I love actually. And, you know, having created a podcast about connection, I'm surprised I didn't think that it would go here, but I, you've opened my mind to a whole different level, which is one of the, the many reasons that I love conversations with you, Kim. Thank you so much for your time. I think it's been an incredible conversation. And just to finish off the conversation, the last question that I have for you is to carry on that connection, you know, spin that spider's web as, as you put it, who should we connect with? next. Melissa Pokar, she's the founder of More So Projects, which is an all-female consultancy group that was formed by a group of women who are mothers that have decided to leave the, the, the formalized corporate structure to have more bandwidth for their families, but still had incredible skills and knowledge to bring to the world and wanted to work on a project-based approach. I've worked with Melissa over the years and she pops in and out of my life and is the connector and she's just done amazing things and and I think has breadth and depth of knowledge to to bring to the table. And what are the characteristics about her that you love the most? She is incredibly good at taking these very complex spinning webs that I like to weave and break them down into bite-sized pieces and manageable sequential steps. She also just has such a, an authentic resonance. Like her, her heart is just so warm and and really just loving. There's really no other way to say it. She's just got this this space that feels very encompassing and very calming. And and that's I think why she's able to bring this amazing group of women together. Amazing. Well, we can't wait to connect with her. And thank you Kim so much. It has been such a pleasure to connect with you, to chat with you, to be in your space and and hold space to hear your story and your journey. And you've always been very inspiring to me. So I hope that your story inspires some other people as well. Well, it's always a pleasure to connect with you, Kendra. That's it for today's conversation. Thank you so much for listening and connecting with us. If you liked the podcast, please subscribe and review. We'll be back next week with another impactful connection. Until then, be kind.